We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This thing on? See, now I'm getting mad. Because it's getting ready to be on. I want my whiskey to bite me a little bit. This is the kind of psychopath that I hang out with. I got beat up outside of a Denny's. The Rock Pile Report. With Buffalo Bills season ticket holder, Drew Gear. He likes to get in X's nose. Something I can't do with this podcast because I drink too much. Chris Kruger. My rollerblading blonde mohawk producer. The pettiest, hardest drinking Bills podcast. I'm an adult. I know what I'm about. Everybody to another edition of the Rock Pal Report podcast. I'm your host, Bill's season ticket holder Drew Gear. That's my producer Chris Krueger, and in studio with us tonight, Mr. Pat Moran. Pat Moran from the Talking Buffalo podcast. How are you, sir? Good. How you doing? This is a a really sweet setup. I'm kind of like a a, a little bit of a tech geek, not on the level of Chris, but uh, I walked in. This is really impressive. I like I this. I don't think anybody's as big of a geek as Chris. Is. Like <laughs> you'd have to really try to like match his level of dork. Although he did start making cocktails and he did put some product in his hair, so maybe that makes him cool. He's looking good. But then he's trying to be cool, also dorky. <laughs> Imp- like, impressive bar collection, by the way, too. Th- that might be the coolest thing about... Chris, what would you say is the coolest thing about yourself? If you had to try to sell My yourself... My personality, obviously, uh, is ah! number one. I would like to cover something here. Yeah. So, Pat Moran, you do Talking Buffalo podcast. Yeah. I will say, of any Buffalo-related podcast, you get everybody and anybody on your show, whether it's Sal Capaccio, Joe Biscalia, you get Drew on, Greg, Aaron Quinn, Anthony Marino, Bruce. The list goes on. You get everybody. You're a mild-mannered person, and you're perfect for this hypothetical question that I have for you. Uh All right? It's, very, it's it's quite simple. Let's say you are having people over and you're going to watch a boxing match or a UFC fight. All right? Well, your 10 your top 10 friends are coming over for a fight. Mm-hmm. UFC bar stool maybe. What is the method that you will tell these people, "Hey, I'm having this thing." I'm inviting you. How would you go about inviting people? Uh, 
Well, it's a good question. I, what does this have to do with you subconsciously? No, is, no, 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 no. So this he, has to do with our attorney. He, he's trying to settle. He's asking an impartial third party to try to figure out whether. How or do you not, invite people to a party that you're hosting? If you're hosting a party, do you in like? Is it just a text blast goes out and everybody finds out about it? You tell one person, assuming you make they'll phone tell calls, people, or do you individually contact every single invitee? I probably have a core group of maybe three or four people that I would text at the same time, and then I would probably start thinking about some other people. Maybe they're not in that original batch, but like I don't want to forget about them. And, and okay. then I'll invite them individually as well. So you're saying you do this on the phone, text message on the phone? Yes. Not Facebook Messenger? No, not... Well, uh, hold on. I don't want to be a liar here. I've used Facebook Messenger to invite people to parties. And you, did, did you do that directly, though, or in a group chat? Somewhere? No, directly. Definitely directly. Ah, all right. So, Pat, you've just sank our attorney, Mark Smith. He, um, he's kind of a... Uh, he, he invited Chris over. Well, he invited the whole group over for a night of, you know, hey, come see my baby, and also Rough and Rowdy's going to be on. You should come watch it. Chris didn't come on principle that oh, I didn't get a direct invite. That must mean you don't actually want me there. Oh. Now, for a guy who looks like him with that hair, would you be shocked that people wouldn't... <laughs> like? First of all, he shouldn't be shocked that he's in the second tier of invites to most things because he jokes about his personality being his best fact. He has the personality of a dead moth. <laughs> uh, he, he has the personality of what I assume lead poisoning would be. Like, Why don't we touch on something that Jessica got sent? A picture of a cookie cake that says happy 40th because Jessica turned 40 on Wednesday. Yeah, my, my yes. wife brought a cake to this party that they were supposed to attend to celebrate her thing. And I'm glad I'm glad we weren't there for it. <laughs> Jessica would tell you, oh, my stomach was uh, is upset, which it's been for a couple weeks now. She's got some stomach issue. But we didn't go based on principle of the invite. If you're going to want me to come watch a barstool boxing event... You text me or you get my number and you text me or you call me and say, hey, I'm inviting you to this thing. If you use Facebook Messenger to say, hey, come to this thing, you really don't want me there. So I will do you a favor and I will not go out of principle because of this shit invite. So you'd rather not be invited at all than be invited as part of a group? Yeah, don't invite me. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm what they call a do without. A do without? You Do you like being invited to stuff even if you have no intentions on going? Yes. <laughs> Invite me to things, but just know I'm not, I'm not coming. <laughs> Fair enough. This is what I'm dealing with, Pat. I'm, I'm happy that you get to see a little bit of it now because a lot of people give me a hard time because they think I'm mean to Chris. I think he <laughs> earns a lot of this. He really, really does. It turns out somebody else earned a lot of something, and uh, I think it's... I, Chris, I think we kick this off with uh, this week's Bill's News Update. So, a couple weeks ago, we had Buffalo Happy Hour on the podcast, and we dove into a conversation about what was, you know, big news for the Bills that week, the firing of their COO, Ron Rakuya. And it's hilarious because we... We've proven that the algorithm for YouTube is correct. If you put something negative in the title of your video, people flock to it because people are bad. 
like every like everyone stinks and we should all be ashamed, but we won't be. And to be honest, it doesn't matter. Like <laughs> most things don't matter. I'm a nihilist sure. for the most part. We were talking about why was Ron Rakuya fired and everybody flocked to this. I think, Chris, you pointed out like it was almost as if they believed we had the answers. Yeah. Like, oh, man, they know something. So there's a certain way to read the title of a YouTube video. Like, so people flocked to that unintentionally. Not an, I, we didn't mean for this. Right. Thinking we knew why. And instead, it was just a conversation about why you might have been fired. Some nuances that I found interesting, like the fact that he just so happened to get fired the same day they announced that he sold his company to the company owned by Jerry Jones, like who's also getting his meat hooks really in deep with the Bills franchise. I'm just like, this all just, I don't know. There, there was a lot of things in the air. And then just as quickly as that became a story and grabbed headlines and had everybody talking, it disappeared. And nary a word was said otherwise. Right. It disappeared from our news cycles and everyone stopped talking about it. Now, you know a lot of people who work in media, both nationally, local, but definitely locally. Sure. You know all these guys. You consort with them a lot. You kind of understand how they approach their craft. This isn't, I mean, thank you to Tim Graham from The Athletic, who yeah. really kept chasing this story after it kind of dropped out of the news cycle for everybody else. Why do you think Tim Graham was the only person to keep pushing the envelope on this story? Well, I mean, first and foremost, credit to Tim Graham yeah. for, for doing the work and doing that story. He is one of those, and it's not even that story, it's other things, too. He's one of those, he's one of the few that will do those types of stories. Tyler Dunn's another one, mm -hmm. although technically he's not really part of the Buffalo medium. Sure. Though, yeah, I mean, he does a lot of Bill's stuff and he lives in the area, but, you know, he's more of a national writer. You know, that's a great question, Drew, and honestly... I think, and this is part speculation, but also part talking to some people. I'm not going to name names sure. or anything like that. But I, I think in part it is just, it's almost like 50-50. The men and the women who cover the beat, they, they consider their job talking about things that are going on with the team. Mm -hmm. You know, whether it's players on the field, off the field stuff, like a Stefan Diggs mm -hmm. story, if it's warranted or whatever. Okay. When it comes to that, I feel like some of them, to some extent, might feel like, it's not really their job. It's a, the job of uh, an investigative reporter to do those type of stories. And also, I think there's at least some element that they don't want to rattle the cages, maybe, of a, of a team of, of their own, whether it's the ownership, whether it's the, the Buffalo Bills media relations or public relations department. They're not going to be able to stop you from covering the team because you put out a story, but Look, they can they can make your life hell. It's it just like another no job. It does you right, no favors. Right. What's it, the benefit of doing that story in their eyes? Now, as someone who like investigative reporting was actually the thing that got me into journalism, mm -hmm. and to this day remains like out of all the things I ever accomplished with my journalism degree, none none I, I barely used it for anything after graduation. I, sure. I work in finance now, but. When I was in college, I used like I got to touch what investigative reporting is supposed to be. I got to see it, smell it, taste it up close, and I loved it. I loved it, and then eventually became jaded by it when you find out that even when you do all the right things and you dot all your T's and cross your I's and you line somebody up and you have them dead to rights, yeah, <clears throat> it's you don't like now. It's up to other people to give a damn whether or not something's actually going to come of it, mm -hmm. and so. It, in that way, investigative reporting can be very deflating to some people. 
it can be it it jaded me. Kudos to Tim Graham for having the ability to chase those things down and stick with that kind of stuff. But then also, you got to think about it from this perspective. He he, when he was writing about all the stuff going on at PSE, it, it did. They, I'm sure the he knows that the powers that be within that organization, they don't like him already. No, and they it, don't. And so if you, if there was anybody who was, I think, qualified and equipped to chase this thing down, it's him. Because he goes, listen, what are you going to do? If you were going to crucify me, you would have done it already. There's a skill to doing what he does, too. Yes. It's not even a desire, it's like, incredible. hey, I want to uncover some big story. No. I want to go somewhere that other it's writers a, it's won't. It's a curiosity. It's, it's a, yeah, it's a curiosity. It's a skill. It's having the context to be able to talk to people that you could trust, mm-hmm. that you're going to get credible information from. Yep. There's a lot of factors beyond just the willingness to do it. I think that's what the difference is, is... With Tim, he has a skill that maybe a lot of other reporters in the market, it's not that they're not as good as him, they're just, they do things differently. Or they you have know? different skill sets. They have different they skill sets, sure, They don't absolutely. have the savvy that he does to have those conversations where it's like, look, I'm, I'm, I'm not even looking for, I'm looking for a contact. I'm not talking to you for information. I'm trying to find out who I should be talking to because that's half of investigative reporting. Right. It's not just, oh, person A knows X, Y, and Z. And then if I go and talk to person B, they're going to tell me, you know, A, B, and C. No, it's, well, what do you know? Well, do you think, do you, did you see who else might have been here? Well, who else do you think? Give me a list of names. And then I can go shake those people down and find out if anyone's comfortable talking. It's a, it's a process. Do you feel... You know, you, you have your kind of finger on the pulse of Bills fans, mm-hmm. someone being knowing a lot of Bills fans, being on social media, stuff like that. Did you get a sense that a lot of fans wanted more on this story, meaning they were criticizing some of the beat writers for not going after this, for not digging in? Do you feel because I, I didn't I see personally it. I didn't see it either. I didn't That's see my it. point. I didn't see it either. My take is this, Drew. It's like. If it comes to those type of stories, I want Tim Graham to write that story. Or I want it. Tyler Dunn to write that story. That's what they excel at, and that's mm-hmm. what they do. I don't need – when it comes – I want Sal Capaccio or, or Matt Perino or Elena Getzeberg. I want these people to tell me what's going on with the field. Yes. Who was that practice? Who looked <clears> good? You know, What did the coaches say? What did this player say? That's when, what I want. I want, when the, you put I want it like the day-to-day that. beat from when, them. When you put it like that, to me, it almost feels like for, for Sal Capaccio to be trying to do this story – or tell this story or he investigate. Can. It reminds me of Tommy Boy. Like it would be like Chris Farley trying to put on David Spade's jacket. <laughs> Fat guy in a little story. <laughs> like that's just yeah. what it would be. And that's not a slight to him. What it is is that Tim Graham's just a special writer. He's, he and is. his tenacity Different for these kinds of like things is incredible. So guys if you haven't read over at The Athletic Tim Graham's follow-up piece on why Ron Rakui was fired, here we were speculating about all kinds of things. Turns out, he was fired for good old-fashioned reasons. People get fired. And it wasn't a Russ Brandon. There was no scandal. It was literally just Terry Pagula took over and said, wait a minute. This guy's hard to work with. Yeah, and like then everyone it. else in the building went, oh yeah, no, he's kind of a dick, but it's it's... He's been allowed to be this way. He's been allowed to be abrasive. He's been allowed to be a tough negotiator. He used the word arrogance in in his article, too. Arrogance. He's been allowed to carry himself with this air of impunity. And he was empowered more so when Kim took a step back. She didn't micromanage him. 
And then when she was removed from the picture and things were kind of a free for all, he stepped into, he did what most people who are type A personalities who are wired like that do. He stepped into that vacuum. Yeah. But in doing so, more of your flaws come to the forefront when you're now negotiating with a a state governor and there's no owner, quote unquote, holding your hand or acting as a filter or and then that guy has to find out, hey, Hokel hates him. Hokel yeah, hates his that guts. was in the article too. Hokel hates his guts and wants him removed from all these conversations. Yeah, she doesn't want to be even at the meetings. Doesn't want to meet with him anymore because of his attitude and because right. of the way he talks to her. It's like you. It's one of those things. I used to say this to, uh, back in the day. Before myself professionally, it took a lot of learning, and there's a lot of lessons you learn easy. There's some you learn the hard way. Sure. The thing I always used to be told by my boss when I did collections and repossessions for a bank, and he always used to tell me that the thing that makes you so successful is going to be the reason that one of these days you're going to get fired. He was like, one of these days you're going to cross the... He's like, you tap dance all over every line that exists, and you pressure people here internally to get stuff done, and that's great, but also... One of these days, this is going to go wrong, and it's going to be the reason you get fired. Now, luckily, that didn't end up happening. But I think back to that when I think about Ron Rakuya, and I go, if this is how you've climbed the corporate ladder and gotten to the point you are is by basically being a bulldozer, it makes sense that when an owner who hasn't had any interaction with you before takes the reins and goes, yeah, starts talking to everybody in the building, oh, and hey. the governor... <laughs> And then goes, and the oh, wait, so everybody hates this guy? And they're like, yeah, we don't like him. And then Terry Pagula starts trying to put the reins on him, and he goes, oh, you don't tell me what to do. There's the fuck I don't. <laughs> the fuck? That's true. No. <laughs> Not anymore, I don't, because you're out. Yeah. And I, and I think that there was a statement in there, even from Rakuya himself, where he admitted that he probably would have done some things differently. Fucking Tim Graham. He gets a statement. He goes, in a statement... From somebody, for, he would like to have done it differently. Now, you, the fact that he's able to get that quote from his camp, that's journalism. It, right that's there, what, right? yeah, but you come to expect it from somebody like Tim. I didn't hear him say this directly because I'm going to be honest with you. My mindset was I didn't much care about the story. Yeah. Not that it wasn't important, but as a, I had other things to worry about with the Bills fan, as a Bills fan. You know, who's playing well? Yeah. You know, things like that. Well, I'm, that's it. You look at the, the stadium's cycle. getting built. I care about the team <laughs> on the field. So anyway, my personal at the time, my outlook was, I don't, I don't think anybody cares because I didn't really see many people talking about it. But then I heard that was one of the most red stories he's ever put out see? for the athletic. And it makes you think, well, why don't more people chase that story? Again, I go back to the same thing. Not everybody has the skill set to be able to put that type of story together. And some people just, it's not their lane. Yep. Like, why cover something if it's not your lane? The the, the cons outweigh the pros yeah. when it comes to that. At least that's, that's my opinion. I know there's some people out there that think that the media is just too soft in Buffalo. I've heard it many times. I got some... Pretty good friends that say that, that this, you know, they're just too soft. I personally don't agree with it. I could see that side, 
why people would say that. I I don't buy it. Look what happened to that announcer for the Baltimore Orioles. I forgot the guy's name yeah. for being critical. That's why when you said Sale, I was like, of all people, I know Sale's not going to write that story. He that's, literally is on the sideline governing Bills This game. is it. And so that's where self-preservation takes over. Sure. And for everybody who's, oh, the team's too soft. I always ask that question. Kevin Brown. I always ask the question, what would you do? Yeah. What would you do? Because I know you think you know what you would sure. do. But if you have to sit in those shoes, I've, I've gotten to do it. I've gotten, to st- I've gotten to walk on the field and interview players after training camp practice. Mm-hmm. The questions you think you're going to ask them, the conversation goes very differently. Sure. <laughs> it's, just a, it's a whole different energy when you see it. And so for the average person, when they say stuff like that, I just I hear it in the whiner line caller voice, which is funny. But thank God we have Tim Graham to finally put, because for me, it gave me closure on this. And I go, okay. Nothing nefarious or below boards. There's no organizational problems. It's literally just the story of one guy who's sure. arrogance got him in a little bit of trouble. And well, guess what? That's going to happen. Let me ask you this. If you're not Drew Greer, Buffalo Bills season ticket holder, co-host of Rock Power Report, let's say you're covering the team. You're covering the beat. You're at practice every day. You're trying to get interviews with players. You're go, trying to get your access through yep. Team PR to speak to somebody because you're yep. working on a story. Okay, Are they going to revoke your media credential because you wrote something that they no. might consider skating? No, they're not going to. But you know what they're going to do? They're going to make your life harder. Yep. They're not going to give you that. They're going to make you have to jump more. I'm going to go ask a question and go, hey, do you know who I can reach out to for a quote about this? No. Nope. nope. So you got to ask yourself, and I think it's fair to, is it worth it me doing this story when this is going to be the fallout? Can you when ima- it's not my lane to begin with. Chris, can you imagine Matt Perino writes that story, and then all of a sudden he gets uh, the, the Bills PR group pulls a Mike Rodak with him? <laughs> Possible. The, fir- the first year I had uh, uh, training camp credentials, I'm in the press room at, at the stadium. This is incredible. Like I'm nervous as hell, but I'm trying not to show it because I don't want to be a rube. And I see Matthew Fairburn and Mike Rodak, and they're standing kind of together talking. And I'm still unpacking my stuff, and I'm just, my mind's going a million miles an hour. Mm -hmm. And I turn to him and I go, Hey guys, do you know what, like, what way do I go to get to the press conference room where Sean McDermott's going to meet the media before practice? Rodak looked at me and went, I don't know, and just walked away. So I ended up getting lost in the building. <laughs> and that's exactly what could happen to sure. a journalist who, I don't know, you draw the ire of the PR department. It's not that they're going to cut your legs off, but what they're going to do is they're going to make you walk a lot farther to get where you want to go. I'd be more critical of Matt Perino if he tried to do that story. Yeah. Because, A, it wouldn't be as good as what Tim did because that's not his lane. That's not yep. what he does. I like what Matt Perino and a lot of beat reporters bring to the beat that they mm-hmm. cover. But that's not what they do, and no. I, I think it would be a mistake if they tried. Just give me Tim and Tyler, and I'm good with well, this town. You want to talk about mistakes? Let's talk about Brandon Bean and Jonathan Taylor. So this is something, guys, that I dug up weeks ago, and it's hilarious that it's still relevant now in the news cycle. This running back saga this offseason has been really interesting to watch play out. It started with sure. the, all the franchise tags that got applied and didn't get signed at first. And then slowly, I think running backs realize there is no market coming. There's nothing out here for us. Jacobs, who was a first-round pick of the Raiders, gets tagged. Saquon Barkley, who was a first-round pick, he got tagged. He was the first one to cave, wasn't he? Yes. I believe he was the first one. By Uh, cave, you mean go to camp or show up? Yeah, show up, sign his contract. Uh, Ezekiel Elliott's cut, and he's on the market, former first-round draft pick. Kareem Hunt can't find work. Uh, Tony Pollard gets tagged. 
only running back worth a damn after they cut Zeke. And that's their fault. They yeah. created that monster by not keeping Zeke around as a threat to be like, hey, listen, Pollard, you want to see the roster? We still have Zeke. We could run two running backs again, or we can franchise tag you for, or you sign the tag, and we figure out a deal. Mm-hmm. So then Delvin Cook, second-round pick, got the bag. Team regretted it, cut him. They throw him back out on the street. Now he's out there begging for change, and he, luckily the Jets, for him, luckily the Jets gave him what? One year, six million, that could be eight? Yeah. Which is a far cry from what any of these guys were trying to get. Right. So, Four-time pro bowler. And one of the things that you see out of this is that out of those picks, like a lot of them, they were either drafted in the first round, Jacobs, Cook, or they were a running back who had their situation compound. Not Cook, uh, was it Saquon Barkley? Or like Tony Pollard, your situation was compounded by a guy who was in the first round. There's this weird value thing happening. All right. So as this is all unfolding, all I can think of is this through a Bills lens. And I think back to the Marshawn Lynch situation. You know, we had a decent running back room. CJ Spiller, you've got Fred Jackson. And they go out and spend a first round pick on Marshawn Lynch. Or in fact, Marshawn Lynch was here first. And then they drafted Spiller. Is that? Yeah. Okay. Lynch was here and then they took Spiller. I think either one year or two years later. And yet you could kind of tell that Lynch was probably the best of the three. Sure. But he never really felt like he was getting a fair shake here because you have three running backs. We never made him the feature back. And that always weird. It was always weird to me. And then the acrimony between him and the team and him and the local media and him and the local police department. And eventually he gets traded out of here. Yeah. Goes on to be a pretty dominant running back for the Seattle Seahawks. Like probably one of the best, (laughs) one of the best. It's one of these things where you keep drafting teams that draft running backs in the first round don't really seem to get, I don't know, it's hard. Like Adrian Peterson in the first round might be the last running back I can think of who for the for the bulk of his career paid the team that drafted him dividends. Yeah. Is that fair? And it is. It's very fair. It's weird. It's such, it seems to me. It's an important position, but it's not treated as such. It's just like the philosophy in today's NFL is draft a running back, develop him, franchise tag him if he's great so you get that extra year out of mm-hmm. him, and then draft another running back and start that process over. I was talking about it today. It's crazy. It's like James Cook is a kid to me. He's young. He's going in the year two. I'm like two years from now. Might be his last year in Buffalo. Yeah. His brother's 29 years old, and he's old in some eyes, at least around the league. It's just, it's, yeah. it's crazy to me. I mean, he could still outrun the fuck out of both of us. <laughs> anyway, get outrun the fuck out of both of us. <laughs> Chris, Chris, for as dead bot as he might be, can probably outrun me and you. Not, not, with, not with my back. Oh, yeah, he's got a bad back, so he's old as shit, too. <laughs> I love this. So... What I'm thinking about is I'm, I'm going through all this, though, for, for Bills fans. Yeah, recent drafts we go into, like, that's how these teams get themselves in trouble is by drafting these guys in the first round. Yeah. And then it's that they don't believe in the sunk. It's like the sunk cost fallacy where you're like, well, I have to or, or like you're throwing. You feel like you have to now you've given them a value because you took them in the first round. They must be worth more. So they what, hold extra negotiating power? They don't. Right. They should be viewed as a luxury pick that you make when your team is good. That That's the cherry on top of the Sunday. Now let's go compete. 
So you watch how teams, like every year in mock drafts, we're always, it's always, well, the Bills and the running back. It was the Bills and Travis Etienne. And then it was the Bills and Brees Hall or Kenny Walker or what. And we took James Cook in the back half of the second round. Like, they, pundits keep pointing to a running back saying, this is the thing the Bills have to do and we're not doing it. We're actively not doing it. And then you look at the free agent market and they're actively staying away from these players. I dug a little bit into, people are calling it running back aversion at this point. And it's not, I think, or at least it might be, but you can understand some of it. Chris, if you want to pull that graphic up that I emailed you. So if you want to put that on this TV here. Guys, what I have right now, you're going to see it if you're watching it on YouTube. This is all of the running backs that were drafted by the Carolina Panthers when Brandon Bean was either the head scout, Mm. the AGM, or the acting GM. And it's funny because it starts back in 2008. With Jonathan Stewart, they take him, what, 13th overall. He goes on to have a mediocre career. like By first-round pick status. By, by 13th overall pick status. Sure. What, you know, attempts, what, what career yardage, because he played for a long time, 7,000 yards, 51 rushing touchdowns. But if you break into that, what it actually looks like, Jonathan Stewart had like three big years, and the rest of it was him puttering around as a backup to D'Angelo Williams. D'Angelo Williams. That that would make anybody gun-shy from investing a top 20 pick in a running back. Yeah. Especially if you were like if if you were a guy who believed in that. You really thought that was going to be your team's saving grace. And then you watch the guy go on to just kind of do he's there forever, but he does really nothing. Then you look at the rest of these guys. They immediately pivot and he doesn't draft another running back before round 4 for the rest Tony Fiametta. <laughs> I was going to say I literally there's a couple of these names that I literally don't even remember. Tyler Gaffney in the sixth round, who never recorded an NFL statistic. <laughs> I obviously know Cameron Artis Payne. Cameron Artis Payne, former uh, Auburn standout. Auburn standout. Uh, Kenyon Barner from, I believe, Oregon, yep. where Barner played. And he was a gadget back. You know, he was supposed to be a receiving threat. Yeah, he had 152 career receiving yards. <laughs> yeah, because that worked. Like, all of these, but they're late round flyers. Yeah. He went from, hey, I burned one first-round pick. Fuck it. I'm not doing this again. His last running back pick in a draft prior to James Cook in the second round. Well, actually, no. I shouldn't say that because he did take Zach Moss in the third round here. Yep. Back-to-back years. Then he takes James Cook. But before that, when he was still the GM in 2017, handling the last draft before he was installed here, before Doug Whaley was fired... With the eighth pick, he takes Christian McCaffrey. Yeah. So what that what that looks like to me, like right. So some of you who play fantasy football believe in this zero running back strategy. You want to figure out how you get there. You probably get burned one time drafting a running back really high, and then you recognize the fact that hey, I can go to Super Bowls by not drafting running backs in the first round. And then when I find a player who's just so preeminent, who's so talented, who's the the next Adrian Peterson type running back in terms of his impact on a football field, I have to draft that guy. And they but here's the thing, these some of these players have delivered. 
Christian McCaffrey's been great. Saquon Barkley has been great. Sure. A lot of them. But it comes down to when it's time to pay up, or at least pay up over multiple years, these teams don't want to pay them. A lot of times it's because they just devalue the position. Like Christian McCaffrey is a perfect example. He's not a Carolina Panther anymore. Yep. Sometimes they get traded because the team stinks. Well, and not only that, but then you have to think about this. What made that team stink? And it's become kind of the piece piece of argument that I have with people in terms of how you build a football team. Mm-hmm. Podcast back in 20, Chris, what was it? It was the Bills and Jets 2019. Both of us had gobs of draft uh, or a cap space to spend, and it was going to be an arms race. We had both just, we just drafted, they had Sam Darnold, we had Josh Allen, and it was going to be two teams who were going to spend a lot of cash. And they went out and spent money on linebackers and wide receivers and so, and we bought trench players. And mm-hmm. I was like, this is an interesting thing about how you build a football team. Is it going to be inside out or outside in? What's going to prevail? By and large, the teams that have built up their offensive lines and said, we can win with mediocre wide receivers and running backs if our offensive line is full of studs. And we can win on defense if our defensive line is beastly enough. They're going to keep all the pressure off these mediocre linebackers we have. Yeah. Like, that's it. And so I feel like this idea of running backs not getting paid, not getting their due, whatever the case may be, it's because what you do can't single-handedly turn the tide of an entire season. You might win a game or two, but you're not going to win a Super Bowl because of a running back. I agree 100%. I mean, look what's going on with Jonathan Taylor and the Colts right now. He's one of the best running backs in the NFL, but what are you going to win right now on that team with Jonathan Taylor? Now, maybe the Bills make sense. Right? Like, if you say, hey, this is the thing I need, and I'm willing to be shit in two years and have to reconfigure things quickly because I paid a ton of money, but I want that one or two seasons. I want to be, I want a team that's like Peyton Manning to hear those running backs care. I will, those two running backs in that Super Bowl deserve Super Bowl MVP more than Peyton Manning did against the Bears. Sure. Fuck that. It, it should have gone with Xavier Rhodes and, uh, yeah. Xavier Rhodes, and I can't remember. Guys, call in if you know the other. <laughs> Colin, if you know the other running back's name out of that tandem. But the idea is, is that you can get there, I guess, but what are you giving Joseph up Joseph Adai. Joseph Adai. So now the question is, does this make sense for Buffalo? Because people keep talking about it, and I just can't get myself to that place. Does it make sense for... All right, let me ask you this. Does it make sense for Buffalo from a straight-up, on-the-field 2023 football team? Sure. Or does it make sense in terms of what the consequence is going to be if you go get him? Because you're giving up compensation to get him, and he's not going to agree to a trade to a team without a new contract. And and here's the thing I want you all as fans listening to this to understand. Sean McDermott's not dumb. Brandon Bean is not stupid. Now... Howie Roseman has survived in Philadelphia. And in fact, he went on to rebound from a Super Bowl win to being on the cusp of a Super Bowl win. He was winning at halftime. But if you look at the coach, right? Like Brandon Bean and Sean McDermott are thick. They're they're thick as thieves. They're pretty tight. When you think about what happened to Doug Peterson in Philly, that team said, fuck it, we're going to go all in, we're going to hedge our bets, we'll spend every dollar we have to, we'll trade away future draft picks, we will get every player we can that we think can help win a Super Bowl under this roof right now. And they went and won Philadelphia its very first Super Bowl. Doug Peterson was fired two years later. Yeah? You intentionally did this to your, you shot yourselves in the foot 
in the future knowing that you weren't going to be competitive because the cap structure was just going to cripple you. You weren't going to have draft picks to backfill some key positions. There was going to be a lull. And so you would think that the guy who brought you your first Super Bowl would there it would be this like unspoken agreement that hey, we're going to do this but you're not going to get fired as a part of it. Yeah. And then they can him. Yeah. And you see that and you wonder why coaches are gun shy and GMs are gun shy to take that approach. I, I understand why Jonathan Taylor's linked to the Bills. I, I do. I get it. And there's been a lot of running backs in the last couple of years that have been linked to the Bills. Saquon Barkley at one point, Alvin Kamara. We can go on and on. From a football standpoint, would I like Jonathan Taylor to play for the Bills? Of course. There's still some old guy out there at a bar right now yelling about Cookie Gilchrist. (laughs) It's just like Cookie. We need him. Let's say you trade for him. Let's just for the sake of discussion, which, by the way, other than trading for Stefan Diggs, when's the last time or the only time during Brandon Bean's tenure as GM has he given up a a day one or a day two pick? Never. Eh. Okay. So let's just for the sake of discussion, let's say they do trade for Jonathan Taylor. A, you take uh, James Cook, who you put a second round investment in a year ago, he's your permanent backup now. That that's his ceiling. As long as Taylor's healthy, he's nothing more than a maybe five to seven touch a game running back, James mm-hmm. Cook, for not just this year but the next couple years. Then you go back to him. You got James Cook right now, and he's going in the year two of a four year contract that is team controlled. It's team friendly. It's a cheap rookie contract. Then you're giving up compensation to get them in the future. And then you look at the cap situation. Jonathan Taylor is going to cost a lot of money for the Bills or any team to trade for. The Bills are not in great cap shape next year as it is. Josh Allen's cap number was up to like 40-something million next year. Vaughn mm-hmm. Miller's at 24. And for Stephon all the, Diggs, Trey White. As you're the, saying this, there's a million people out there going, well, the, 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 the cap isn't real. You know, whatever. Hey, guess what? It gets real at some point. Talk to a Saints fan. Everyone kept talking about Mickey Loomis. I used to make the joke that Mickey Loomis was Inspector Gadget and the NFL salary cap was Dr. Claw. Somehow this idiot keeps just by the skin of his teeth getting away from the the ramifications of the cap. But there's a reason that they've been a shit team for the last three years. And it doesn't look like it's getting better anytime soon. No. Here's the deal, too. Beyond those guys, I'm just talking about the cap numbers that they already have. Now you got guys that, like, this is a team that's getting about a lot of free agents next year because there are a ton of one-year deals on Mm. this team. Let's say Trent Shurfield has a good year. I like him a lot. Let's say Leonard Floyd works out. Let's say Puna Ford works out. A bunch of other guys that are on one-year contracts. How are you going to sign these guys? So you're giving up a lot beyond just what – draft compensation you give up to give Jonathan Taylor because you got to pay him. By paying him, you're not going to be able to pay some other people as well. So now it goes back to how much do you value running back? How much better is Jonathan Taylor than James Cook that you're going to not be able to resign a Leonard Floyd or another, like I said, a Trent Shurfield or somebody who looks really good. You might lose Gabe Davis a free agency. Trent Shurfield might be even more important now in the offseason. Because you're going to need a run-blocking wide receiver. So when you ask if he's a fit, that's why I'm like, no, but not because I don't like him as a football player. Exactly. And you hit the nail on the head. And But I guess in order to be a part of those future conversations, you have to be a part of the roster this year. And sure. so as we kind of wind this thing down, let's just take the uh, – because some of these guys, like Chris, there's a million podcasts they are going to do f- an hour 20 on, let's break down every nuance of the 53. Yeah. Fuck you. <laughs> I'm not doing Woo. that. I don't have the fucking – first of all, my ADHD will not allow for that. Second of all, there's really not a lot of volatility to this roster. Chris, pull up the R-Lads for me. Get that up there on the screen for me. So 
if I'm going to take a look at this and just also some potential trades, a little bit of nuance on the back end sure. of this conversation, quarterback, like this is a hot take. There's got to be a better option at quarterback, too, somewhere in the NFL, not currently on our roster. Yeah, he played here last year. Well, so this is it. So what I have in front of you right here on my laptop is the entire NFL's quarterback depth chart. Is it hard to argue that we have the worst group right now of anybody in the AFC? Like, Hmm. at least they have Trevor Simeon. Uh, Behind Watson, they've got Dobbs, who I don't know what Dobbs is. I mean, this is bad, right? Like, if he gets hurt, I don't know what they're going to do because these two aren't winning games. No. Kenny Pickett as Mitch Trubisky, Mason Rudolph. At least they have experience. Sure. Uh, The AFC South. They have these guys, you know, Gardner Minshew. Gardner Minshew might be the best backup AFC quarterback. Yeah, I think the Colts would want to keep him, though, because they got a rookie starting. No, but that's what I think is crazy. Like, that's wild that one of the worst teams, like, in football this year, statistically probably going to be the worst, has the best backup quarterback. I was going to say, you can make a case. He might be the best backup in the conference. You want to talk about trades? Fuck Jonathan Taylor. You should be talking to him about, what can I give you for Gardner Minshew? For the love (laughs) of God. So when you take a look at what the Bills have going for them in that regard, I feel like you could cut all of our quarterbacks except for Josh Allen and go out there and try to find... Because Case Keenum, you look at that situation, he's got Davis Mills, who they like. He played for him last year. Something called EJ Perry. I don't know what that is. But they probably keep him around just in case they have to put him in. and they, You know what I mean? 50-50. There's not going to be a lot of teams that carry three quarterbacks on their active 53-man roster. I don't think it's a lock. <laughs> hey, Pat, Jake, Jake Fromm is out there. I just saw his notes. <laughs> Jake Fromm is out there, baby. Why don't we... Oh, wait, we did that. Didn't remember he was in the NFL until this past weekend. Do you, it wasn't that a great finish to a fucking game? People say the preseason doesn't matter. They can all kick rocks. That yeah. was amazing. Uh, what about Elfartiaga's man crush, Reed Sinet? I, who, who fucking knows, but if he's cut, I'd take him over Kyle Allen. I don't think they're going to do – I think they're going to keep – I think Kyle Allen's going to be the quarterback, too. Do you think they keep three? I'm not necessarily – I don't think – no. Okay. No, so you but, think two in practice squad for yeah, Barkley? Yeah, Kyle Allen will okay. be the two, and I think Barkley goes to the practice squad. And any drama that might have been left about who's going to win quarterback, two, I think that ended when he uh, not just played bad in Pittsburgh, Matt, last week, but also uh, Hurt his, his elbow. elbow. So he's not really going to get to go out on Saturday and no. play and show anything. Even the, though you know what he is anyway. So. At the wide receiver position, Diggs, like you, you, we already know, Diggs, Davis, Sherfield, Hardy, and Shakir. Well, I don't even want to say that. I'd say Diggs, Davis, Sherfield, and Hardy are locks because you paid them. You went out of your way to get Trent Sherfield. You're not cutting him. And he actually sparked for you a little bit in the preseason, so he's done nothing. Like He's a part of your plans. Yeah. Then you look at what's happening on the back end. You just spent a fifth-round draft pick on Justin Shorter, Mm -hmm. who's a tall, big, big, long strider, but when he gets up to speed, he's hard to defend on the field with a big catch radius who almost sounds like another player we drafted of the same ilk a couple years ago, oh. who then we groomed to be a wide receiver, too, and might lose. Oh, James Hardy. Yeah. <laughs> what? I went, did, I go, did I go too far back? <laughs> oh, my God. So Yeah, except that guy couldn't run block with the shit. That's why, he's, yeah. that's why he flamed. I was really high on him coming out of school, too. By Everyone way. was. And then when, as soon as teams figured out that he was too light in the lower body and they could, yeah. just, they could just jam at the line and he yeah. was done, yeah. never had a career. So now this... 
Now the question is, who's this other guy? Is it Shakir or is it Isabella? And it's weird because they've been ramping up his first team touches in practice. It's it's almost like the team is trying to talk themselves into something here with his it's usage. Good take. <laughs> I it is no, because I, I agree with you. Because then uh, Joe, I can't take credit for it. Joe Marino pointed out that he only had one special team snap. They were giving return duties to other players, but they rolled him out as a punt gunner. And he did a good job. He did a good job with his rep. It's like they're just trying to find a reason to knock him, and he keeps doing well. And then they go, well, he does have NFL experience, and he has, you know, he understands the wide receiver position a little bit better. Maybe we could try. It almost feels like they're trying to talk themselves into pushing Shakir to the practice squad and waivers in hopes, but he won't clear. I don't think so. Some team will take him. I, I agree. You know, all right, first of all, we're going to assume they're going to keep six receivers. It's They always keep six. They're not keeping yes. seven. Well, we talked and, about this. The only time they've kept seven is when that position was tied to the return job. Okay. Right, that makes sense. Justin Shorter's making this team, so don't even put him in the conversation on roster bubble, guys. Mm-hmm. Justin Shorter, 100%, is that fifth receiver. Khalil Shakir, to me, is a polarizing, fascinating player, and not always in a good way. So... I've been to, I went to a handful of practices at camp, and one practice you mentioned Joe Marino, and I was sitting with him and uh, Joe Miller over at Buffalo Rumblings, and Joe Miller and I were arguing about Shakir. Every practice I've seen, every time the Bills would come out with their first team offense and they would go into three receiver set, not two tight end, mm-hmm. three receivers, Shakir got every single first team rep. Every practice, not one practice, every practice. I told Joe Miller, I said, you are nuts, because he thinks... Shakir's fighting for his job. And I told him a couple weeks ago, I said, you are crazy. He's not. Because right now, there's some legitimacy to Shakir versus Isabella. I still think Shakir ultimately makes the team. But he put he left the window open a little bit for Isabella. Well, and, and, and here's the beauty of the way his contract is structured and the way the time he spent in the league. If they were to cut Isabella. Yep. He's not subject He's to vested. waivers. He's vested. Yeah. So now he could just, they could say, listen, we're going to cut you, but you're going to be on the practice squad. It and matters. You're the first man up if this shit doesn't go well. Like, <laughs> if this doesn't go. And that matters. It matters a lot. That's a huge nuance Shakir, to this Shakir, conversation. Shakir won't clear waivers. Someone no. is going to say he's a top six receiver on our football team. So I wouldn't be surprised if multiple teams put a claim in on him. And I'm not out on Khalil Shakir, but the problem with him, and you saw it in the Colts game, that first preseason game. He's just so wildly inconsistent. He makes tough catches over the middle. He runs great routes. And then he and then drops, he drops an a third one. down. On third down. I Walking mean, to the sideline. Literally, it literally cost them points. They, they had to settle for a field goal attempt because he dropped the football. He's not a great blocker. No. And, so, he, and then the thing is, you talk about what an athlete he is, but when you watch him try to return, the thing I walked away from that blue and red scrimmage was the idea that one of I I didn't even see the numbers at first. I'm just watching guys fielding punts. One guy looks like he already knows what he's going to do when that yeah. ball hits his fingertips. One guy looks hesitant. And if yeah. there's anything you cannot have in special teams, it's hesitancy. Agreed. You have to be you're you, you're thinking three steps ahead and you're moving at a thousand miles an hour. That's yeah. special teams. And so, with that in mind, it's tough to see him finding a role in that regard. 
And so it's that's why I honestly believe it's that that kind of gives you if there was anything that might edge Shakir out in a numbers game is them figuring out what the hell they want to do with the return position and going if Isabella can be the guy and also be a reliable, useful tool as a receiver. We need him around. One of the things to look for on uh, this weekend's game, who's returning kicks right right away. If it's Isabella, if Isabella is returning that opening kick and they weren't just giving him a look last week, then Shakira, I think, is in trouble. Agreed. By the way, if you're watching us on the video side, singing my song here with these bush lights. Yeah, I had to stop and go get some bush lights for Pat because I know, listen, I know you. Cheers. So... I mean, you're also equally drinking garbage, too. Oh, yeah, I'm drinking Utica Club. Joe Joe Yurden's favorite beer, by the way. Joe Yurden, huh? Yeah, we we did a show at Casey's. Could have had any beer in the house, and he wanted the Utica Club uh, giraffes. Good job, Joe. (laughs) Him and Mark Smith would be best friends. (laughs) So at running back, it's Cook, it's Murray, and this is what bugs me. Like, I feel like they signed Ty Johnson just to get over the hump. People keep talking about, well... Like, I saw somebody who's like, I just did a 20-minute podcast about all of the upside for Ty Johnson, and I literally, I want, like, I had to delete the tweet. Like, I typed (laughs) it out, because I was going to be like, what the fuck did you waste your time for? I think this is a move you make because you recognize that you like Damian Harris. You targeted him early in free agency, but again, he's brittle, so his health hasn't allowed for him to play in the preseason. Agreed. With that said, you're not going to kick him off the roster. Because he wasn't available in the preseason. Nope. He was part of your plan. He's part. He was a great run-blocking running back. He's part of what you want this team to be. So this Ty Johnson signing is just, we need a healthy back because we're not going to put Cook out there. Or at least at the time when they signed him, it was up in the air whether they were going to do it or not. We need to be able to put someone out there. Yeah. Just take the game. Take the carries, whatever the case may be, get us out of here. It's the uh, who's the who's the asshole who threw the ball backwards in that Bills Lions game? I Matt saw it in Sims. person. Matt Sims. We signed him for he was he was probably like working at a Home Depot somewhere. <laughs> no more. He probably had an office gig somewhere. And the week before, in the Bills call him and go, "Hey man, are you in shape? He probably we need a quarterback to get us over the hump here for this last game." Matt Sims probably is now writing all of Chris Sims' tweets. <laughs> my, my only thought with Ty Johnson, my worry is that maybe this Damian Harris knee is is more than uh, we we think. I mean, he hasn't played. He's probably he's not going to play this weekend, so he's not going to see one snap of the preseason. Maybe he starts the season on IR, and they want a third veteran running back. That could be the only path I could see him, Ty Johnson, making this roster even for just the first four weeks. And another thing to point out, and this goes around the league a lot. Ty Johnson played for the Jets. Who did the Bills play week one? We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. 
Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Jets. The Jets. You have a guy who played on that team who might be able to feed you some information. I know that sounds corny, but... Kind of like that. back in the day when we uh, signed Lawyer Malloy, and then all of a sudden we beat the Patriots thirty-one <laughs> to nothing in Week One. <laughs> yeah, Similar there, thing. There you go. I'm a little bit surprised. Like Evans or, or Mims isn't going to get a show, uh, carry a lot of, uh, you know, carry the load on, on Saturday. I'm intrigued by Ty Johnson, but I'm not doing a 20 minute podcast on on his signing, and I don't. He's not making this 53 man roster unless. There's more to the Damian Harris injury. You know what I would rather do? Because we did sign Harris right away in free agency. He was an early pickup. Yeah, I would rather spend 20 minutes doing a podcast about all the things I'd rather do with 20 minutes <laughs> than fucking talk about that. So on our tight end depth chart, okay? Obviously, the it's Knox. It's fucking... Kincaid. Kincaid. And Morris. Here's the question. Did Sternberger do enough to warrant a practice squad spot? A practice squad spot? Because if you need a, you, we needed tight end depth last year. Last year I, that became a problem. There was games where we, we were legitimately worried we might not have a tight end. Yes, and to your point, and that's actually something I hadn't thought about till you said that. I never even gave him any consideration because to me, the first three tight ends are locked in, and they're going to carry three tight ends on the active and Morris, roster. And also, not for, not for nothing, Morris is your run-blocking tight end. Yeah. He's an athlete. And then, what, 16 fields for Buffalo? What, 16 snaps over two games for Buffalo in the preseason. Not a single pass-blocking rep yeah. in any of those games. Wow. Sternberger, <laughs> you know, the Bills are going to run a lot of 12 personnel this year. Yes. So they're going to have a lot of two tight end sets. So having a veteran tight end on the practice squad, I never thought of that. So I'm going to give you credit yeah. for bringing that up. I wouldn't have thought of him as a practice squad guy. I would have said, no, he's just going to get cut. And maybe he still does. And they bring a different tight end than a practice squad. But you, after I think, I think if I'm a GM running a team that almost ran into problems on that front, I'm going to hedge my bets that I don't want to be in that boat again. Sure. Calling street free agents going, Hey man, I know you've never played for our team. Agreed. What are you doing on Sunday? It's a fuck, Chris. Chris, you want to talk about uh, you like uh, you like to be directly invited to things? Yeah, yeah. Imagine getting that text. Hey, it's Bean. Uh, what are you doing this Sunday? You want to come put some pads on and try not to fuck this game up for me? <laughs> yeah. So if I only invite two of you to my house for a fight, I don't want to have ten people. Chris, are you going to be mad if I like don't text you privately? Like if I Facebook message Drew and Chris and invite you both to the house, are you not going to come out of principle? Ooh. How many people does it have to be before you decide? Well, see the that thing you the, take it personal. The thing is, is with the Facebook group message, there are people in the group that don't live in Buffalo. Okay, so. Why would you write it <laughs> All right. in a Facebook group where there's also people that, <laughs> that don't, don't even live in the city? Don't live in well, the state. Well, you didn't state. say that the first time. Yeah. Well, yeah. That's. But also, phone call or text message. If you don't have my number, find out or message me on social media, and I'll give it to you. <laughs> We should flash Mark's number right now on the screen. <laughs> it would be funny. So for, when I look at our offensive line, right, like you're going to get your starters. And I think Osiris Torrance, we can call him a starter yes. now. Yeah, like yeah, he's, he's starting. 
it's clear that they've and I've seen it. His pass protection. I've watched Ryan Bates do worse. So it's not sure. like he's if you're talking about, oh, he could be a liability. So can fucking every guard on this roster because they're not great. At least he has upside sure. that he's a rookie and might get better. Yeah, no, I agree. And there's and I'll tell you this, there's not a better there's not a better run blocker on the offensive line already as a rookie. And the thing that I like about Torrance, and I've seen it in clips that Eric Turner over there at Cover Ones posted, the, the, I think the best thing I've seen from Torrance, if you're going to play a position like guard, it's this thing of, it's the nuance of knowing, like, okay, I've passed off my guy. Now I'm not just going to stand here. You've probably watched, you, your son played football, you've been watching football forever. It's the ability of a lineman to find work. Mm-hmm. Like, oh, no, there's no one directly coming at me, or I've passed my guy off onto another guy. Now it's time to go back and get my hands dirty somewhere else sure. because the job's not done yet. You watch plays. You know what? You know how I know Austin Jackson for the Miami Dolphins sucks? Because there's so many plays where his quarterback is getting sacked or running back is getting hit in the backfield for a tackle for a loss, and he's there blocking no one. Yeah. He has no one in front of him, and he's turning around looking over his shoulder like he didn't know that this was going on. The The best offensive linemen stay busy, and Torrance is a guy who throughout the preseason, whenever he's gotten on the field, has looked very busy. He's looking for a, a lane. I like that about him. So the, our starting five are going to be there. In terms of backups, I feel like the way our lads has it kind of fleshed out here looks pretty good, doesn't it? You know what, right? Don't people who say that training camp or the preseason don't matter look no further, I, I would say, than Ryan Vandermark. I think he has had a really, I, I notice him, and he I'm had not a at bad all, game against the Colts. He did when he went to the right side. He yes. played really good on the left side, which yes. to me matters because I can't stand David Quisenberry. So that's why, by the mm-hmm. way, to answer your question, I don't think this, our lads, is completely accurate. Okay. Um, anyway, I, I think Ryan Vandermark, at least for now, is going to be that third tackle. I think he's going to win that swing job. Okay. I don't know if he's going to win it. I think he's, he's, it's going to come to him by default. The problem with Quisenberry, like, I would have no problem divesting. I don't hate the guy, but they trusted him to start seven games. And then the problem sure. is you watch, here's this tackle that everyone's talking about, started 11 games for Arizona last year. He's available on the market. He could be had for a song. And he goes to Houston. He goes to Houston for a fifth-round pick. And at at what point do we have to just look at this and go, our GM doesn't give a shit about this? I'll make this even make you more mad. I don't even think it was a fifth-round pick. I think it was a seventh-round pick. Well, I think they gave a fifth and they got a seventh seventh. back. Yeah, you're right. In the trade. Yeah, I would have made that trade. And that's that's why I said for now, because I don't think – I think the Bills, if they're going to make two moves – after their 53, their initial 53, I think, and we'll talk defense in a second, obviously, but yeah. I think I don't think it's going to be added another quarterback. I think they're going to roll with Kyle Allen. I think they're going to make a move to find some veteran tackle, whether it's a trade, whether it's getting somebody off the waiver wire. Okay. But I think Ryan Vandermark has made this team. Ike Bakker could go either way. I like David Edwards' depth. Connor McGovern's hurt, by the way. We don't know how serious the injury is. They were talking about it today. They said, oh, well, Jesus. So I, I like David Edwards at left guard. I don't hate it. He played for a Super Bowl winning football team 
two years ago. I told Joe Marino this, I think, a couple of weeks ago at practice. I was like, I wouldn't be mad if I, they're, Connor McGovern's going to start, assuming he's healthy. I mean, they gave him that contract. He's going yeah. to start. I like David Edwards. Ike Bakker played pretty well before. And plus, by the way, you have Ryan Bates. Ike Bakker, <laughs> Ike Bakker just has one of the worst mustaches. Yeah, like, I, I don't know that he's going to make this roster. That's what I'm saying here. That, so I'm not sure that this depth chart, and I'm not, I don't think David Quinsbury is going to make this if, roster. If they cut Ike Bakker. I'm going to convince myself that it's because of the facial hair. Not even because of his football. Anything he's Nothing done in the field. Football. It's got to be that mustache because I wouldn't want that thing looking. Ryan Bates is going to be interesting. He can move the right tackle. He can back up all these positions. He can start a left guard. It saves his job. It saves his job. If Connor McGovern does have to miss time, and we don't know as of this recording, we don't know. Yep. Ryan Bates could be your starting left guard this year. One more point quickly, too, yeah. on uh, Osiris Torrance. So there's two ways to evaluate a football player. Like, if you're really into football, you know, you, you can listen to Joe Marino. You can watch the cover one guys break down yeah. in the film. Or if you're just a casual fan, you want to know if an offensive lineman's playing well, especially if he's a rookie, do you hear his name? Yep. You know, the casual fan, I didn't hear his name once. That means he's playing well. So When I was a little kid playing guard, you didn't. Right. If you're playing well, you don't, again, for the casual, most fans. You don't get cussed at. Like right. that's the thing. If right. you're doing your job most of the time, you don't get cussed out when you get to the sideline. Like, right. That's the mar- Like that's the barometer of whether or not you're doing your job because there's no stats. Sure. And so in that way, and I know PFF tries. They try to analyze things, and it's got its pitfalls, its pros and cons. Mm-hmm. We've been. Ba- I think Chris, you've gotten us blocked by everybody on their staff at this point. Most likely. <laughs> so, yeah, it's it is what it is. I think the offensive line is going to be okay. You know, I, I, I think it was Sam Monson was on PFF this morning talking to the WGR Morning Show, and they were talking about this idea that they, the Bills are doing this thing where they don't want to invest a ton of money in the line, but what they're banking on is that even as long as everybody on the line collectively doesn't have their worst seasons possible, you're going to be average when you have a quarterback like Josh Allen that makes you above average. I'm not out on Spencer Brown like a lot of people are. No. He's played bad at times. He played bad Saturday last week, and but so did almost everybody. Um, he's, he's he hasn't hit his ceiling yet. I no. still feel like he's got to stay healthy, and that is an issue with him. And it is a worry if he goes down, or if Deion Dawkins goes down. That's a, a legitimate worry. That position, the offensive tackle, the depth. But I, I still, I'm, I'm not out on Spencer Brown. I How still, many teams have star quarterbacks that and are paying them that you can say have tackle depth? Not many. Not a lot. Not, not many. A lot. So when we move to the defensive side of the ball, first of all, safety, like, look at this. It's, I don't think, you know who I'm actually worried about is Dean Marlowe. Dean Marlowe at this point is probably a practice squad guy. But I wouldn't hate it because, I mean, he, his family was elated for him to be yes. here. And I think the fact that the team traded for him last year shows you that they know letting him walk was a mistake. They just weren't willing to match the pay. And as soon as he was available for trade, they took him back. Yeah, I see Dean Marlowe, because I think you're only keeping four. So if you're keeping four, it's going to be Hamlin, Hyde, Poyer, and Rapp. Well, do you think it depends? I don't know if I agree with you. Well, I'm about to talk about this, and I think that a lot of what we do in 2023 is going to hinge on that safety position. Okay. But I'll tell you, and I'll, I've got some stats and some numbers to Well, we up. agree on the first four, <clears throat> and, and I think they're all obvious. Who do you like. think makes it? Well, Poyer and Hyde, obviously. Taylor Rapp's a lock. I think DeMar Hamlin is a lock. I agree with you about Dean Marlowe. I think he goes to the practice squad. Players like him, and that counts for something in that mm-hmm. building. He, so I, I think he sticks around on the practice squad, though. 
I don't see him on the Our Lads depth chart. I'm just taking a double look to make sure he's not there. I don't see Chris, him. scroll down for a second. Um, yeah. All right, so he is there. All right, so I think Cam Lewis makes the team, but you're counting him as a corner, whereas I had him as the fifth safety. Yeah. So anyway, all right, so if you're going if you're going by this depth chart, I consider Cam Lewis a safety, though, but if you're going okay. by this depth chart, I would say, yeah, those are the four safeties, which means I think they're going to keep six corners, which you'll get into right now. Well, that's it. So when you talk about cornerbacks, I mean, there's, there's really only one that I think has a target on his back. I mean, what do you got? Tredavious White, uh, Dane Jackson. Dane Jackson started more games he than any other cornerback. And it's one of those things where his, he, he's like, uh, there, there was a UFC fighter a long time ago that I used to talk about. Chris lights out Lytle. And the reason he's always stuck in my mind is because you could watch the way the UFC used to be structured. Because there was a lot of, it was still in its infancy, like it was getting popular, mm-hmm. but it wasn't what it is now now everybody's a technical fighter there was this level of you had some guys who were brawlers who could scrap and could be tough guys for a couple fights but you had to be able to beat chris lytle if you were going to be considered a contender you were never going to make the top five conversation if you couldn't beat this guy now he was never good enough to win a title and it's almost like he knew that right but he also knew that I could kick the shit out of a lot of these guys and make a lot of money. So I'm going to hang out here, and I'm going to play gatekeeper. And if you can't get past me, guess what? Your career ends right fucking here. Yeah. That's Dane Jackson for this cornerback room. He's the guy who he goes, listen, I'm not Trey White, and I never will be Trey White. But guess what? If you can't outplay me on a football field, and you can't be as assignment sound week to week, practice to practice as me, then you will never be cornerback too. And he has this weird, it's like all of these young kids are trying to challenge him for that role and no one can do it. He's, <laughs> they all crash on the side of that mountain. He's Levi Wallace. That's, he's Levi Wallace. He's, he's now he's the Levi Wallace. Um, I think there's some positions on this football team, Drew, where players win these positional battles and with these mm-hmm. training camp battles, I don't feel like they win them as much as their competition loses them. Yes, that's it. It's just, who's the guy who made themselves expendable? And the thing with cornerbacks is all a lot of our guys played well. Yeah. They, they, they're just good and they're well coached. So Trey White, you know, obviously Dane Jackson, Christian Benford played well in the preseason. Yeah. Kyrie Lam has kind of been in the doghouse, but he was a first round pick. Sure. Which we'll talk about here as we wrap the show. But you go down the line, I just I think we all know who the usual suspects are at the cornerback group. I don't think there's a ton of intrigue, and I wouldn't be shocked if all four or five of those guys make it as cornerbacks. Um, I, I think they all make the roster. I the, Everyone that you said. Teron Johnson, Cam Lewis, you want to, since they're calling him a nickelback? Yeah, but now I'm doing my math, because now I might have been yeah. wrong. So we got Trey White, we got Christian Benford, we got... Kyrie Elam, we got Dane Jackson, that's four. We got Teron, that's five. You know what? I said, well, maybe they keep 11 DBs in. They do. That's what I had. I had six corners and five safeties in my projection. Okay. But I had Cam Lewis as a safety. Because Teron Neal, not, I'm not a Teron Neal guy. I'm just going to say that. He's making this team. Special teams all Special teams value. Do not. I cannot stand... As His much, defensive I, as abilities much as are I not loved, great. I like Teron Johnson a ton. 
I love him because I see the drop-off when he's not on the field, and it's Saran Neal or Cam Lewis on the field. It's so noticeable. I think Taylor Rapp ultimately is going to get some of those reps. But, oh, yeah. But still. But anyway, I'll, I think going back to Dane Jackson real quick here, when I said guys are losing it, I've been so locked in on Kyrie Lim, and I don't know if you want to save it to later to, 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 to discuss him, but he is so inconsistent. Watching with my own eyes at camp, and you don't have to be a film pro. You don't have to be an expert to watch and, and see. Mm-hmm. One day he is like glue on Stefan Diggs. There was one drill where they were doing one-on-ones, and Stefan Diggs was going one-on-one, and um, Austin, one of the reserved corners was on him literally Kyrie Lam grabbed him pushed him off to the side because he wanted that rep with him and they were <laughs> jawing at him he looked so good next day clueless just terrible didn't look like he even knew what he was doing out there looked lost at times he's a defensive holding machine yeah, well, because he plays a very physical exactly, style. and it's just look he got away with a lot of grabbing and clutching in college, and he's going in the year two. So let's not say he's a bust. He's That's done. It. He's not a bust. He's not. But it doesn't doesn't it, look good. If he put it this way, if the Bills have a game, a regular season game this Sunday, and they're playing the or Monday night, and they're playing the Jets. Forget the preseason. The game is this coming Monday. You and I are on the sidelines broadcasting the game live for the Rock Pile Report. You could have Kyrie Lamont as a guest, and he's going to be wearing his flannel, his his jumpsuit, because he's not going to be dressed for that game. Christian Bedford, as of right now, they're going to keep three active uh, corners. It's going to be Dane Jackson, and Christian Bedford is going to be that backup outside corner guy. So talking about the defensive line here, mm-hmm. Greg Rousseau, Daquan Jones, and Oliver Von Miller, Yeah, they're, they're going to put him on the puck. I think so, for he's, sure. He's a pup player. Yeah. He's going to stay there. He's going to miss four the first games. four weeks. We saw that video he made cutting and running. He's not ready. So no. you don't leave him on the active. You put him on the pup. You eat the four games. Smart you, move, sir, Circle back in a month. See where you are. Smart move. It's the reason you paid Leonard Floyd. Yeah. So then you still have one, two, three, four, four starters on your defensive line. Defensive tackle really is the only place I see any intrigue on this. And it's... It's just the Puna Ford Tim Settle thing. Mm-hmm. Because you're already if you're already talking about keeping an extra DB and you're already talking about keeping an extra safety, you have to cut bodies somewhere. Yeah. Who's taking it? And it's probably going to come down to this defensive tackle room where Eli Anku's been in our practice squad for a long time. And he's come up, played well, but he's a practice squad guy, and I think he knows it. Kendall Vickers, this Cortez Broton, DJ Dale, like they're their names, but they we could we wouldn't lose a moment's sleep if we heard they were cut. I think Puna Ford, just the fact that the team immediately went on and got him as soon as the draft was over when they didn't get a D-tackle tells you they're in on him big, and I think he did pretty well in the preseason. Tim Settle, I think, was pushed by his presence, but I just don't know. They asked him to take a pay cut. I don't know how to read this. I don't know if you have any feelings about this one way or the other. I I just think Jordan Phillips is super important to our pass rush. I think he's also coming back from injury. Yes. I could see a scenario where they might be able to buy some time to make a, a decision by putting Jordan Phillips on IR to start the, to, uh, to start the season and miss the first four games. He's supposed to play, at least he's going to play some um, in Chicago on Saturday. It's going to be his, literally his first real action of the mm-hmm. preseason. He's coming off a major injury. I could see a scenario where he goes on pup or, or injury reserve and misses the first four games. Or they could keep all five. Then it comes down to a question of the depth chart of what it looks like. So I think that's intriguing. I think Puna Ford is making this team 
And, oh, and I think I mean, they're not paying him much. So right. if they didn't, it wouldn't be the end of the world. But for what he brings to the table, I feel like you needed somebody to back up Daquan Jones in that I'm just going to be a fire hydrant. Sure. That I'm short and I'm wide and you're not going to be able to move me because I'm mm-hmm. low to the ground. They needed something and they had nothing. Right. I agree. And I think Tim Saddle's making the team, too. D end, the only thing I see is this Basham Lawson Epinesa trifecta here that just keeps like that's the thing that would keep me up at night if I'm a coach. Who's gonna help me the most in the season? I, I Boogie Basham is the most upside. There's no question to me about that. Mm-hmm. AJ Epinesa, and you want to talk about another guy who could be frustrating call, year after I, year. I call him Drew Stafford. <laughs> I go, yeah. he's the guy who when things matter, he's going to have a giant fucking season. You're going to pay him and he's just going to turn into a pumpkin. He looks so good in camp when it's shorts and, yep. and, and t-shirts. Oh, yeah. When and it's, then in the game, where where's his presence? And I'm again, granted, preseason. I, I get it. He's just, I don't know about him. I don't know if I'm ever going to trust him. Boogie Basham still has some upside. If there's one guy that we've talked about on this defensive line that I think surprisingly could potentially be in trouble would be Shaq Lawson. And the only reason I, I, I want to, like if you had to pick Shaq Lawson or A.J. Epinesa, who are you taking? I'm taking A.J. Epinesa. Really? Yeah. See, I like Shaq Lawson because I just feel like he gives you more against run the run. He gives you more of what you're probably going to see. I don't know. Well, they they all probably make it because I do agree with you that Ryan or Von Miller starts the season on IR. So then you got Rizzo and Floyd. There's two, and then you got Epinesa and Boogie. That's three, four, and you keep five defensive ends. It would be Shaq. I think Shane Ray getting hurt. I think that that helps Shaq Lawson. I think oh, Shane Ray sure. had a chance. Jonathan, Jonathan Kingsley's another guy I like. I don't know if he's going to make this team. He'll be practice squad because they loved him last year. He's and good he on special off, teams. He too. came into that Bears game and played really well. Yeah. So I, I think that that's going to be good. That brings us to the linebacker position, and this is where I'm going to kind of... Uh, let, me, let me roll up my sleeves here. <laughs> so you've got Milano Bernard, Dorian Williams, and Tyler Matikiewicz. These are the guys that I think are serious threats to be a part of this. AJ Klein gets thrown into that conversation, but he's an old man that everyone knows what the fuck he is. Yeah. And again, if you're talking about keeping extra bodies at the end, what do you want? What do you want to be? And everyone goes, well, no, we have to have a guy who can play the middle line. Do you? Do you? Yeah. I don't give a shit. I think that you, I think you cut AJ Klein. And make him a practice squad player. And if you really feel like after week one you need him, you bring him up. Now, some of that will depend on the health of Terrell Bernard. But, like, this is what I see. Oh, boy. I've, yeah, I've got a Seagram's bet against against my buddy Doug that A.J. Klein ain't making his 53. You're betting he's not, right? I'm betting he's not. But let me explain to you why I feel this way. I'm going to try to qualify it so you don't just think I'm talking. I'm going to ask him being a homer. Teams that have been incredibly successful without having robust linebacker cores. Mm -hmm. There's been one of them over the last half decade that I think we can point to. If you look at the Kansas City Chiefs, okay? You look at their Super Bowl teams. Two wins, one loss in five years. That's fucking great. Are you kidding me? That's a dynastic team right there. They are far from perfectly constructed. Every team chooses where they're going to take their medicine. Their linebacker position like, has been constructed in a way that they've had to rely on philosophy, coaching, and just dumb luck yeah. to help them win. This has been their group. Anthony Hitchens, Darius Harris, Leo Chennault, 
Damian Wilson, Ben Neiman, and Nick Bolton. Nick Bolton is the only recognizable say, name. Yeah. And here's the reason why. He's a pro bowler, and everybody else who's played has just been another guy, a jag. Sure. Yeah. Just another guy. He can do everything. He's a Matt Milano type. So we have another guy who plays the yeah. same type of football as Nick Bolton. Outside of that, right? Like you can, And you can see it if you look at the, the snap percentages in 2022. Nick Bolton led all defenders. They did not take him off the football field because they knew how important he was. After that, there wasn't another linebacker who cracked the 51% mark for snaps. They just rotated the fuck out of him. They were like, listen, mm-hmm. you, you're an athlete. We like this situation. You're more of a thumper, but we're in the red zone, so they can't throw it over your head. Fuck it. We, we just roll. So what I did was I went back through all these years of success they had, and I looked at their snap counts and how they divvied them up and who they gave them to. You see more volatility in snap percentage in linebacker. In 2019, it was a three-man rotation from Damian Wilson, Hitchens, and Ben Neiman. And they were all terrible. Hitchens and Will Wilson gave up 64%. Like, Well, they were 64% for snap, snap percentage. They both allowed more than 70% completion percentage against. They were wow. awful in coverage. Yeah. Uh, 300 yards per player. Over 300 yards per player allowed receiving. Most of it was yards after the catch, which means you don't rally to the ball and tackle. These guys are catching it in front of your face and then running away from mm-hmm. you. And like, multiple touchdowns given up in the process, but they still won a fucking Super Bowl. Yeah. And Ben Neiman was almost unrosterable for most teams. Then in 2020, they beat the shit out of the Buffalo Bills in the AFC Championship game. They rough us up on defense. They take away the middle level of the defense yeah. where we'd been thriving all year. And they did it with the same linebacker group. But you know what they did? They played more safety. So here you look at they don't have a single. In 2020, when they beat us and then went to the Super Bowl and got beat by uh, Tampa, not a single linebacker had more than 55% of the snap count. <laughs> not a single one. But three safeties, Tyron Matthew, uh, Daniel Sorensen, and Juan Thornhill, were three of the top four snap percentage players on the entire team for defense. Because they used safety to backfill what they knew their linebackers weren't capable of doing. Yeah, makes sense. Tell me it didn't work. Oh, I did. It got you a fucking Super Bowl. It did. On a mediocre defense with average corner play. You You look... Every Bills fan, no matter what level of Bills fan you are, probably has said the thing that annoyed them the most was losing Tremaine Edmonds and not seemingly doing anything at middle linebacker. You have to have some faith that these guys running this team are smarter than we are. And they know what they're doing because on the surface, I don't get it. So your your buddy's name is Doug that you have this bet with. I think it's 50-50. And I'll go one step further. It's 50% that Klein gets cut and makes a practice squad. And I think it's 50% that he not only makes his team, that he's a starting linebacker in the middle of the game. Oh, fuck. I think that's how bad Dotson has been. It would, and if Bernard's not good to go, and Bernard, there was no lock when he was healthy. It wasn't like Bernard was running away with his job at camp either. They, they tr- it's kind of like Dane Jackson. Yeah. I'm not a big, I'm not an A.J. Klein fan. I can't cover no. nobody. But I just feel like Sean McDermott trusts him more. Then he trusts the other guys. Realistically, that's all I need is Jags right now. Because unless you're Fred Warner or you're Tremaine Edmonds, who just has these elite physical traits sure. that no one else has, you're just another guy. Sure. And 
we've proven, I think, and I think earlier in the offseason I did an exercise where I talked about all the shitty players who played on playoff, linebackers who were on playoff teams. There's a lot of bad linebacker play that still finds its way to the postseason. Sure. If you're a good coach, you'll figure it out. Mm-hmm. And that's why I see that safety number specifically, and I go, okay. They, papered, they papered over some shit with a bunch of safety play. Yeah. I'd like to think that a coach who understands D-backs is the way McDermott does, mm. understands what he's getting involved in, and there's a reason they didn't invest when they had every opportunity to yeah. do so. I, good point. I agree. 100%. I, I still... I still yeah. think A.J. Klein might start. Fuck A.J. Recording. Klein. Fuck I'm him. You, might start, you man. So then we get to the trade conversation, and mm-hmm. here's the thing. Brandon Bean, we talked about it the last month on this podcast, has traded, made a trade before cuts every single year yeah. except for the COVID year. Mm-hmm. There's two players who, because of the depth of the position and just their own play, and for different reasons, I think make interesting trade candidates. It starts with Kyrie Elam. Yeah. Because he's not a bust. He was a first-round pick who needs grooming. Year two. He's only going in the year two. So there's a team out there. If you're looking at a log jam at a position where you go, listen, I can't afford to keep this many cornerbacks. I just can't. But there's a team out there that comes to you and says, listen, I'll give you something. Now, whether it's you think you can shake an offensive tackle looser in team or whether you think you can get a second round or a third round pick for a, a second year first rounder who might be inactive again. On game day, you have to take a long, hard look at what that is. His value will never be higher than it is right now. It will now. never be higher. If he goes through another season like he had last year, you will, you'll move him for a late-round pick yeah. or a conditional pick next year. If you already know and you want to stay ahead of the game, right now you could trade him and someone will buy low thinking that, and by buying low, they'd still give you more thinking that they're going to profit off that investment. If somebody came to you right now, a, a GM around the league, and they offered you, let's just say, a fourth-round pick, would you trade him today? Chris, what do you think? Fourth-round pick for Kyrie Elam right now, knowing what our cornerback, not in a vacuum, knowing what our cornerback room currently is. I'd rather go the route of trade for trade, player for player, Kyrie Elam, and if there's a tackle... Okay. You could get. But you would be happy shipping him off for an asset that helps you now. Yes. Rather than have a cornerback who might be inactive. Just based on the fact that Christian Benford outplays him again. Christian Benford has outplayed him two straight preseasons and training camps now. And he's a six-round pick. I just feel like his value will never be higher. I agree with Crystal. I would prefer if I, I first of all, I think he's a good player to bring up for a trade. And I, and I, like I said, I think his trade value is as high as it's going to get right now. You could be rolling the dice, so he goes out has a good year. I mean, that could happen. He could get sure. traded. He, he could go on and become out. a star. He, he could Wyatt Teller. I mean, there's. I know people would run that name by you. Oh, and and if he and if he if Kyrie Elam left, and the Bills don't win a Super Bowl this year, people would throw it in our faces perpetually. Well, we could have had that guy, and he make a difference because that's the nature of being a fan. Even if it, even if the Bills didn't get what you would perceive as full value for trading him, I would give Brandon Bean the credit for not being afraid to cut your loss on a move and a pick. Like with what San Francisco's done, they give up three first-rounders to get Trey Lance, and he's their number three quarterback. He won't be in San Francisco fucking much crazy. longer. Like They could have stuck with him because of what they gave up to get him, the, the resources that they put into getting him. 
but they're cutting their losses. Mm-hmm. And I'm not saying Kyrie Elam is at that point. I just want to be real clear about yeah, that. People no, are going to no, be no. killing me on social but, media. But it's one of those things. But you got to like if you're talking about who might make sense for a trade. Yeah. Here's my guy. Because if there's anyone who's going to bring you, people go, well, they got to trade for a tackle. You want to know what has value mm-hmm. that might get you a guy who can step in if Spencer Brown gets hurt or just ain't doing it. It's a Kyrie Elam. Yeah. You'd have to. You got to take some pain. Those don't just. GMs aren't just divesting themselves of quality offensive linemen. So if you got to, if you want one badly enough, you might have to trade a Kyrie Elam in order to do it. And luckily for us, our roster is set up in a way that would afford us the opportunity to do that. Yeah. And I don't think we would be that hurt by the move. The other player is defensive end Boogie Basham, and it's because he's having such a great camp. Yeah. And it's because of the fact that you still have a Shaq loss in there. Who you go, listen, you're not the best pass rusher, but you'll give me something. You can defend the run. If I decide that some team or some team approaches me and says, hey, look, you know, as we're back channeling, they go, listen, I like that Basham. I think he's coming around. And you say, well, I don't know. I don't think he's working out here, or I don't think his ceiling's where we want it to be, but maybe you can get it there. What are you going to give me? Is that an right. offensive tackle? Is it a, is it a day two pick? I'll say this, as a Bills fan, I would prefer that the Bills traded A.J. Epinesa of the two. That's interesting. Okay. But, well, I'm saying that because I like Boogie Basham more. Okay. I think Boogie Basham's upside is higher. I think he has looked pretty good at camp. And again, he's still, he play, he's played well throughout his early career in flashes. Mm-hmm. What he's lacked is any kind of consistency. And I mean, when he disappears, he like disappears. Well, him and Epinesa both. That's why right. I'm like, listen, if you can right. pack... Chris, can we tie them together and put them both on the same well, boat out of town? <laughs> yeah, but, go ahead. But Boogie's got an extra year on his contract still, And that's too, what so. makes him valuable. Right. Oh, I agree with you there. Because he has contract because he has term tied to him. Sure, you're going to get so something So there's cost control for the GM who would take on that Agreed. contract. It's going to be interesting to watch the way this all, this all plays out. Why don't you tell everybody where they... Because obviously you're going to have a ton of content coming out pre-cutdown day, when cutdown day happens, when all this stuff goes on, where can people find your content? And what do you have coming up on the podcast? Um, well, Stalking Buffalo. I haven't even told you this, actually. But in two weeks, we're actually going every day. We're going to be doing a show every day. So it's going to be Monday through Friday when the season starts. So Hot damn! Going to be on every day. Um, Twitter, Instagram, TikTok. I got to do TikTok now. Do you know how much I No, they're not doing it. I have to do what I was told I have to Our do. Our friend's it. wife was like, no, you guys have oh. to do TikTok because it'll help push your brand. It does. I told her I would rather push this brand <laughs> off a cliff. <laughs> like I'd set it on fire like, in, like a 1996 Agreed. Monte Carlo. Set it on fire and push it off a cliff. I would rather do that than push this on TikTok. <laughs> it's, it's at Patrick Moran TV. That's the handle for Twitter, TikTok, and, and Instagram. Uh, Talking Buffalo podcast on YouTube. And I'll still do it, not every week, but I do a live show from Imperial Pizza most Thursday nights. I've had some really good uh, media and athletes on the show lately. Matt Perino is going to be coming up this coming week. And then uh, Brian Duff's going to be back on the Sabres side. And yes. hopefully a couple of uh, people that he works with. Let's just say, I don't want to say any names, but yep. some cool names coming up, man. So stay tuned. It's been fun, too. Guys, this has been a great conversation. We ran long, and it's driving Chris nuts. I love that. But we got to get the hell out of here. I'm Drew Gear. That's Chris Kruger. That's Pat Moran. And this has been your Rock Power Report.